from the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Texas Tech Red Raiders Football Podcast brought to you by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal Sports Department. I'm AJ Media, Texas Tech Football beat writer Don Williams joined as always by AJ Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva Jr. It is week three for Texas Tech. Panthers of Florida International coming to Jones Stadium on Saturday night. It's a 6 p.m. kickoff. And that one again, not really under television. It's on ESPN Plus. Yes, streaming. It's online streaming. Please emphasize that to all the people that call me Don. They want to know what channel um, on. It is not on a celestial or torrential. To terrestrial channel. That's right. And uh, same as last week's game, which was uh, streamed on ESPN Plus as well. Red Raiders uh, survive against Stephen F. Austin, 28-22. They uh, needed a stand inside their 10-yard line in the final minute or so of the game with a couple of two or three big plays by Jalen Hutchings. And, mm-hmm. But they get out with a win. Two and zero, and uh, Carlos, I was curious, what were your top uh, one or two takeaways from Texas Tech and SFA last Saturday? I think the most important one that stood out to me, Don, was the fact that Tech gave the ball away four times. They didn't get any takeaways themselves. I think that's a, a very interesting way to try and get yourself a win. As Matt Wells said, you do that most of the time. You don't really win win those type of games. But fortunately, the defense, as you said, bowed bowed their necks. Later in the contest, Jalen Hutchins made some big plays, and they were able to get that 28-22 victory. But those two interceptions, two fumbles, two uh, two of those, uh, that being one interception and one fumble by Tyler Shuck, your quarterback, not the best introduction to the home crowd, uh, which all the players and people that we've spoken to said was one of the biggest ones that Matt Wells has seen since he's been here, uh, didn't get a very good introduction to Tyler Shuck. So I think uh, just from my perspective, I think uh, – I, I mean, I've seen all the all the talk on Twitter, all the other things. I mean, again, maybe I'm just a pragmatic person, but two games in, you don't really know much about this team. I think after this third game, we're going to kind of know what what to figure out. I know I talked about it before in a previous podcast where you make the, the biggest leap from week one to week two. It didn't seem like that uh, really kind of occurred there after uh, the, as you said, they had to survive that scare from Stephen F. Austin, but I think uh, – we will definitely see what type of offense or just what type of defense Texas Tech has when they do play the Panthers of FIU this weekend. Yeah, um, and, and I'm not sure. I don't think we'll really know for sure all about this team until they get into conference play. I think, uh, and of course, you open conference play with a couple of tough assignments because you yeah. got to go on the road to Houston and you got to go on the road to West Virginia. And even though you've beaten the Mountaineers, the Neil Brown coach Mountaineers a couple of times, um, still, you got to go play them on the road. Um, uh, FIU, not a really good football team. Uh, 0-5 last year. Uh, the, this is a Butch Davis coach team. They actually ended mm-hmm. the, the losing streak uh, right at the start of the season. They're, they come in 1-1. One one. Um, FIU was uh, – Actually, eight and five in 2017, and nine and four in 2018 under Butch Davis, the former Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. former head coach at a couple of college stops before he 
went to FIU. Uh, they do have, you know, the, all, all the talk about Florida Internationals centers around Devontae Price, who's a 6'2", 215-pound running back, and he has a four-game streak in which uh, – four-game streak of 100-yard games last two last season, first two this season. He ranks ninth in the FBS in rushing. Um, so uh, they will try to pound him. He, he, I say pound him. He's, he's also a, he's a guy who actually runs well, has some breakaway mm-hmm. speed. That's a long carry this year, 68 yards. So, uh, you know, a, a, a decent team, um, but a team that you, a team that you should put away. But of course, we said that uh, you should put away Stephen F. Austin last week too, and and he didn't really do that. He just well, uh, yeah. got the win on. No, absolutely. And uh, again, we apologize uh, doing this on Zoom. So, just depends on how the Wi-Fi is working. So, if uh, Don or I cut out. Apologize. We're just trying to get these things to the people uh, as we try and do these podcasts each week to obviously preview the game for Texas Tech as they play FIU. And then, of course, talk a little bit about Stephen F. Austin before. But just uh, before I kind of uh, lead into you, Don, with Devontae Price, one thing that stood out to me, I know it's just statistics where you can look at numbers, but the fact that he's averaging 9.9 yards a carry, uh, that goes to show there may be a little bit of an emphasis from the defense to slow them down, which goes to a point of Keith Patterson talking about the fact that the fact that they had the depth at linebacker that really kind of helped him out just being able to stop the run at times. I know you've mentioned it. I kind of asked you how you felt about the odd fronts and kind of all those things. But I guess just from your perspective, I guess two games in, I know you've you started to kind of mention it, but what, what have you kind of learned about this Texas Tech team or have you not really learned about much of, of this Texas Tech team? Well, if you want to talk about defensive side, I think uh, I, I think the biggest thing, not really a secret, they thought that going they thought going into the season their depth would be uh, pretty good on defense, and so far I think that's been the case. They've rotated a whole lot um, in your top. Uh, you, know, you got a th- three defensive linemen. You're rotating first and second team guys. At all three of those spots, you have three mm-hmm. linebacker positions or rotating one and two at all three of those spots. So basically at, at six positions in that front six, you're you're playing 12 guys. I think that's helping keep them fresh. I think that's why you can rise up and make a stand at the end of the game like they did last Saturday night. I think the depth is pretty good in the, in the secondary as well, even though you have some of those guys like Reggie Pearson, for example, so good that, he never comes off the field. He's played yeah. every snap so far. Um, they you know, lead uh, – uh, I say lead. Uh, I think they lead the Big 12 in rushing defense. I know they're, they're ranked high in the FBS in rushing defense, only giving up uh, – I believe the average is 59 yards per game. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, you know, the third down defense has been really good as well. 28.9% conversion rate. That's way up there in the FBS – you know, flip side of that is, and it's been talked about and brought up a lot. Uh, they faced a whole bunch of fourth downs so far, four for four. Houston was four for four. Stephen F. Austin was five for eight. Um, but the the thing, the thing that's kind of happened there is uh, the opponents have been in. It's kind of been skewed a little bit because the opponents' first two games has kind of been in a lot of situations that were a fourth and short. Yeah. And be in situations where it, it made sense to go as opposed 
as opposed to punt or as a, as opposed to, you know, just taking a field goal. I think that'll kind of uh, work itself out. I, I think it's more telling, though, that, again, that you're uh, that you've been solid against the run and that you've played well uh, on third down. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we, you, you can do that. You do that against Stephen F. Austin and uh, and Houston, who don't have any big name running backs. Can you do that against uh, Bijan Robinson when you go play at Texas? Can you do that against Lady Brown when you go play at West Virginia? Mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned the depth there. Uh, how did you feel that the defensive backs played? Because I know that was one thing that we kind of noticed. Adrian Fly went off. They uh, had a uh, Dadrian Taylor kind of step in there. Do you kind of feel like the the secondaries played a little bit better despite kind of losing some guys at times? I think Reggie, you know, Reggie Pierce has been a playmaker. He's kind of what you expected him to be a small guy who really who brings it and, and, and can deliver a hit and Absolutely. is kind of, uh, he's a guy who can support the run, but he's also a guy who can go deep middle, yeah, deep middle and, you know, pick off a pass as he did against Houston. Um, I think uh, Marquise Waters gives you a, a good athlete on the back end. So you have, you kind of have a good mix of, uh, some experience there. It looks like, you know, at the other cornerback spot going into the season, you weren't really sure, okay, who, who's going to play more? Is it going to be Rashad Williams from UCLA? Is it going to be uh, Malik Dunlap from NC State? And what we've seen so far is that while both of those guys played, Rashad Williams has played a lot more, and it looks like he's, uh, at least early on, he's kind of been their choice as a starter at one of those cornerback positions. Um, they gave up a lot of, uh, you know, they gave up a lot of yardage to Xavier Gibson last week. The uh, slot, kind of small guy from SFA, what did he catch? 15 passes and 158 or so yards. Yeah. Kind of, no. kind of aggravating, but that's a little bit of what college football is. Although I will days. say, I'm pretty sure he'll be looking at the transfer portal if uh, things go well for him later on. I think that's <laughs> the one thing that you'll take away from some of these. If you see a good player at these guy, at these teams, you may see him in the Power Five. You know, at the end of the year. Yeah, well, you know, one more thought on the DBs. Sure, they had a lot of guys go. Had a lot of guys go down last Saturday night. Yes, uh, Eric Monroe got hurt. Uh, got a cut on his face, although he came back. Adrian Fry got hurt, did not return to the game. He was on the sideline, I think, like in a tech t shirt at the end. That was of the after game. his first start, too, if I'm not mistaken, right? He started the cornerback on that. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and Adrian Taylor Dimerson, you mentioned him. He was kind of forced into action when the other guys got hurt, and he made seven tackles and, you know, really kind of rose up and took advantage of his opportunity. But then late in the game, he got hurt as well. Uh, and, didn't look very good when they were helping him off. You know, he's favoring his right leg. Yeah. Uh, you know, Matt Wells did not um, really shed any light on any of their circumstances this week. So it Other was than surprising. it being long-term. None are long-term. We know that. Not, none are long-term, correct. Yes. None are long-term. But it wouldn't surprise me if uh, you're missing one or two of those of those guys this week. Now, I know you alluded to this in the last podcast on, and I think I kind of agree with you now. I would imagine we're going to see some guy named Sir Thompson this week after uh, at least taking a couple couple of uh, games off to maybe see how the shoulders work. And I'd imagine he's been practicing, getting a little bit of 
you know, contact during practices. And I mean, do, do you kind of feel the same way where if he doesn't play here, he's going to certainly have a tough time, you know, kind of getting, getting really introduced to Texas in his first game. If, if that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I, I think it's a fair assessment. You'd, you'd kind of like to have him have some carries in a non-conference game. Yeah. Uh, against an opponent you should handle. You kind of, you know, Matt Wells has been real uh, emphatic that he will come back when he is fully ready and not before. Yes. Doesn't depend on, and it doesn't depend on how the other guys are playing. That they would not rush him back a week early uh, just to uh, pick up the uh, running game. But of course, now the, of course, what we've seen transpire is you haven't really missed him so far. Yeah. Uh, uh, Taj Brooks has emerged in such a dramatic way. And Xavier White is, you know, last week was kind of, you, you saw Xavier, the same Xavier White last week that you saw last year. You know, he finished, uh, he, he popped a 52-yard run and he popped a 16-yard run, back-to-back carries. Um, he's never been a real uh, high-volume running back. But he's been a guy that uh, gets a kind of a disproportionate number of big plays to carries, and that was you know same thing again last last uh, week. You know that fifty-two yard run that he had last week that reminded me a lot of the forty-nine yard touchdown that he had up at K State mm-hmm. last. And so that you know those two guys have been so solid. I think I think the interesting question is going to be when Sir Roderick is healthy, uh, how do you take Thomas Brooks off the field? That much because um, you know it's not just it's not just a case where he has had a couple of hundred yard games and broken some long runs. You know, Matt Wells says that uh, what they see on the field on Saturday is what they see from him every day in practice. That he's really mature and that he uh, uh, handles his business on and off the field in the right way, and that. Uh, Again, that, that they're, they're not surprised by anything that he is doing, because he, he he takes the game so seriously, studies the game, is so well prepared that uh, what you see on Saturday nights, what you see from him on Tuesday and Wednesday, and so I think that's that's going to be the interesting question. Is like I say, when Sir Roderick comes back, uh, how much do you really want to take Taj Brooks off the field? Well, here's my okay. question for you, Don, and I'm going to kind of maybe put your thinking cap on. So I'm going to ask the question and babble on like I normally do so you can kind of think about it. But Air Raid or even Sonny Cumbie kind of instituting this new offense, I think it's a fair assessment to say that they're not using every formation that they're going to probably see in conference or probably practicing some things or going to probably throw some things out at Texas when they do play and start conference uh, play. Do you kind of foresee a two-back formation because I could certainly see that if you got Sir Roderick Thompson and maybe you want to put Xavier White next to him. So you have your, you know, your speedster next to a guy that could, you know, do that. Or maybe you could have Todd Brooks and Xavier White, a guy that could certainly catch the ball outside as well. Or if you need Sir Roderick to catch the ball, I know that's something Matt Wells and Sonny Cumbie have said that he's good with and Todd Brooks could be the guy that you could just hand the ball off to. I, I certainly think that could be something. I don't know if we're going to see it against FIU because again, I'm sure, the coaches are going to try and do as much as they can to try and limit the playbook right now in terms of what can be on tape. As Matt Wells has said, once it's on tape, 
everyone knows what you're doing now. And I think that's certainly something, at least from my perspective, that I think Texas Tech has been doing so far to try and at least keep some things under wraps. But I, I can certainly see two, a two-back system at some point. Yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, that's very conceivable. Again, with th- those three guys, you can really mix and match them in a lot of ways because, yeah. again, Thompson, Brooks, and White, you, you kind of know what all, all of those guys are. What they can give you, I don't know. You know, one's not necessarily an all-American, but right. uh, but there's not to me. There's not really a clear. Uh, I, I think all three of those guys are kind of on a similar tier or similar plane. And I guess what I mean by that is that um, I don't feel like uh, I don't feel like you have one top dog guy, and then the other two guys are a notch below that. And out of those three guys, I don't feel like you have a top two guy, top two, and the third guy is to clear notch below that. I feel like all three of them are kind of on a similar or kind of a similar caliber, different styles, but similar caliber. And so, yeah, I, I can see, uh, I can see using some two back stuff at times where you could put Thompson next to White or Brooks next to White or even some next to Brooks. And I think Sonny will, uh, and I think we've already seen this to some extent already. I think he will use uh, he he likes to use different formations, um, more motion obviously than than what David Yost uh, liked, uh, mm-hmm. or more motion than what David Yost preferred or used last year. So yeah, I think that's a, a good possibility. So one of the other things I've seen on Twitter, and I kind of wanted to get your take on this. It seems like everyone's really focused because now with the adventation of something called the internet, you know, you can find stats on everything. Everyone seems to be harping on. They've only run 102 plays in two games. They haven't had a chance to pass the ball around. Do you feel like there is a correlation between not having enough plays and not passing the ball around? Or do you think there's something more to it? Or I guess what have you kind of seen? Because I have my thoughts on that. And um, if you need well, Babylon, I can. Well, uh, uh, a a it's anomaly, an anomaly. It will yes. work itself out. You're not you're not going to have uh, you're not going to have over an extended period tech having uh, fifty two plays. I think it was against Houston and and fifty plays against TCU. And again, part yeah. of that is because you allowed an onside kickoff to be recovered. Um, you've had some, didn't, didn't snap a ball until the two hundred four mark of the first quarter. For those that don't, yeah, but 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 again, that, that's that's an anomaly. It's not going to happen on a weekly basis. Probably won't happen again all year. Um, you're not going to have uh, a dozen fourth and one situations in in a two week span. Um, so uh, yes, it's a a, a function of uh, not uh, not running many plays, but um, but it's not going to be the case that you're going to have fewer than sixty plays in a game. Most of your games this season, that's just not going to happen. We're, we're people are, and I understand why you got you got two games, so that's all you have to talk about right now. Correct. But um, but there there have been some strange anomalies these first two weeks that simply are not going to repeat themselves, and you're going to have games where you have you run seventy five plays and you have uh, more. Uh, more times and touches for other people. But the, again, the other thing is uh, when you have had success running, when, when you've had, when, when Eric as a comma is so clearly one of the top receivers around 
And when Taj Brooks is doing what he's doing, it's not a bad thing to be to keep feeding those two guys. Oh, absolutely. Now, now the one thing I will say just to play devil's advocate is the fact that hopefully you don't rely on that too much and you're expecting a big run in the third quarter and that doesn't happen to you to where I, I know the big plays have been interesting because I know the one thing that everyone was talking about when David Yost was the offensive coordinator was they didn't have those explosives, which is the, the term that I guess NFL and college coaches are starting to use now, which is the, I want to say like 35 to 40, 40 yard plus plays essentially to where now they don't have essentially those 10 to, you know, intermediate 10 to 20 yard plays now that, you know, can maybe spark a drive or keep a drive going. But I think the one interesting fact here that I guess people haven't focused on or looked at is the fact that they've been really good in the red zone when they do get in there, they were three for four against Houston. They were two for two against Stephen F. Austin. Now I know, Everyone's going to look at the final score or whatever, but the fact that you are efficient when you do get into the red zone, which is something they weren't last year, uh, if, I, if I recall correctly. So I think that's something to look at when if you're just focusing on Eric Ezekonma, maybe some other guys uh, at, at some point later on, I think that's a good thing because if you're doing this just with one guy, imagine when you do spread out the ball. And as you said, Don, the anomaly isn't, you know, a mean, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I was just looking at Oregon's stats. People are concerned. Some folks have expressed concern about, oh, it's Tyler Shuck locking in too much on one guy. Well, here's what Tyler Shuck – here's the receiving totals for uh, – here's the catch totals for Oregon receivers last year. Leading receiver had 25 catches. Second leading receiver had 19, then 15, then 14, then 10, then 9, then 9. So you had uh, 1, 2, 3, 4 – Five guys with double-digit catches last year with only a 15-yard uh, separation among those five guys. Um, and, and again, that's only they only played seven games last year. Yep. But that clear—that's that, a pretty clear indication that uh, that that Tyler Shuck didn't really lock in too much on one guy last year. So I, I would be—I um, I wouldn't jump to the conclusion that he has tunnel vision because that's not been the case in the past well here's the thing i think minus the as he called it a miss uh, communication between him and i can't i, I want to say it was either eric is or i can't remember who's running the uh the out route that probably he should have thrown to that person because it was the easier pass it wasn't a double coverage that turned into the pick six against Stephen f austin um i think he has been at least looking at the reads, the progressions pretty well. I mean, at least from my perspective, I mean, yeah, there are some plays that maybe you would like to turn around, but I mean, it's not like he's forced too many passes to a spot to where, you know, it's going to be a bad, bad spot. But the thing is, is like Eric Ezekiel has shown if it's a one-on-one -on -one coverage, I would imagine Sonny Cumbie is green lighting that every time because of the way that he's played earlier. Uh, so far in the season. But I think that the one thing for me, Don, I, I, again, it's two games. I think it's just people just overreacting when, again, let me remind people, Texas Tech is 2-0. and It's not like they're 0-2 right now. You know, I know it's probably not the scoring margins that fans were looking for, but the fact that they're at least 2-0 and is at least some sort of positive compared to, you know, if you look at Florida State and you lose to Jacksonville State or you're some of these other uh, teams that have lost to some of these FCF, FCS teams part of me earlier in the season i think right now the biggest thing to watch is will travis coons get in there will Kaylin geiger finally show that breakaway speed 
And I think the other thing, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit when we were talking to Josh Berger, but just in terms of how the offensive line has played, I think they've played very well with the run game. I think the passing attack is what's going to be the interesting factor as to how this receiving core is going to get stuff bounced around to them. And I don't know if you feel the same way. Wait a minute, say that again. This last year. Yes. So essentially, I think what's going to predicate how good the offense is, is how the offensive line will play from a passing protection standpoint. I think they're running Game has been good. It's certainly shown that with a couple of Todd Brooks' uh, big runs because most of those have been because they had really good blocking. They had a, a guard pull or something else like that. I believe T.J. Storm may have pulled on one of those, but I think that's good. I think the passing protection is something that is going to be looked at because if they're not able to give Tyler Shuck enough time in the pocket, I think that's going to be the reason that he's probably looking at, you know, one guy because he's going to trust that person to make that play. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I think it's a run ball. Pretty good so far, and uh, pass uh, protection could be uh, needs to could be improved. Needs to be improved. So yeah, I, I would second that. I think. Yeah. So I guess uh, from, from your perspective, just last kind of final thoughts from the Stephen F. Austin game. I know obviously uh, I was. I, I can't think of the. PG version, but essentially I was a nervous wreck 10 minutes before deadline, <laughs> hoping, hoping Texas Tech didn't give up a, a, a touchdown there. But I, I think uh, the fans felt the same way when they were all, you know, ecstatic that they did get that fourth down stop. Yeah, I mean, and a guy who kind of uh, – yeah, one guy probably made the most visible plays here was Jalen Hutchings because he had yes. the – once they got the first and goal from the eight – it was Hutchings who had to tackle for loss on first down, and he had sack on second down. Now, I thought kind of uh, secondary to that, uh, Rico Jeffers uh, was pretty – Rico Jeffers maybe got overshadowed a little bit there, yeah, but he, he made a couple of prominent plays as well because on third down, Trey Self's quarterback uh, scrambles, uh, made 10 yards, and Rico was the guy who ran him out of bounds. And then on fourth down, kind of a – you know, he had to throw quick, and didn't really have anybody open. He threw quick into the end zone. And uh, Hutchings was in the pocket, and Jeffers was in the pocket. And both of those guys uh, were responsible, I thought, for, for him rushing that throw. And people have uh, said, you know, asked, would Texas Tech have won that game last year or a couple of yeah. years ago? Um, you know, maybe. I mean, they won the Houston Baptist game last year, similar yeah. circumstances. But I think one of the reasons why you're able to win a game the way that you did Saturday, again, is I think depth and conditioning on defense. Those guys were not necessarily worn down because of how much they rotated uh, really at all three levels of the defense, defensive line, linebackers, and DBs, all, all of those units. Last thought for me, uh, the other thing that kind of made me uh, say some colorful words was uh, that face mask by, uh, I believe it was Hutchings, that, again, if that doesn't happen and that, uh, you know, continues the drive for Stephen F. Austin, maybe we're not even talking about that port down, port down drive. So, I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. it's like Coach Matt Wells had mentioned, it's uh, very uncharacteristic of his team to make those type of mistakes, especially the pre-snap or the after-whistle uh, penalties. So that, that was certainly something, not only along with the, uh, four giveaways, which is the two interceptions and two fumbles, but just those very costly 15-yard penalties that give the opposing offense some life. I think that was something that was very, very difficult for Texas Tech. But like you said, Don, they were able to bow their 
bow their heads and, you know, got things done. Yeah, like up for it. So with that, let's uh, we invite your questions every week from Twitter. You can uh, send them to uh, my Twitter account is at AJ underscore Don Williams. Carlos's Twitter account is at CM Silva JR for junior at CM Silva Jr. Um, let's be honest. Everyone goes to you, Don. You got more followers than people <laughs> like you anyway. So so most of them were to you. So uh, Aaron, Aaron Baxter uh, had a couple questions. So we'll, we'll, we'll take his first one first and then come back to the second one. Uh, and Aaron asked, uh, are Eric Ezekana's disproportionate receiving totals truly a bad thing? I'll let mm-hmm. you think for a second, Carlos. Sure. I'll say, no, it's not a bad thing. And yeah, and uh, not a bad thing to a. You have the leading receiver in the FBS, which Eric Ezekiel is after two weeks. But the other reason why it's not a bad thing is, and I, and I said this after the Houston game or during the Houston game. Even though Eric Ezekiel was first team All Big Twelve last year, he looks like a different guy to me this year. He just keeps getting better and better. And I think it's because of, you know, just development. I mean, I think it's being in a college strength and conditioning program for another year and learning a little bit more, you know, doing it over and over and over uh, every day uh, for the last 365 days. He looks like a guy who is really ready to take it to another level. And I think that's manifest not – just for for me, not just when he goes up and makes catches like he did say over the five eight cornerback for Houston, but it's what he's done after the where he's taking short passes and simply would not go down. I mean, shedding tacklers and and just you know being being the man and saying you're not going to bring me down. Uh, <laughs> you know, arm tackle is not going to do the job. And again, can he do that against Texas and Oklahoma? It'll be tougher to do. But he just looks so strong and sleek right now that uh, I think any t- time the ball is in his hands, he has the opportunity to make a game-breaking play. And uh, you don't have that every year. Um, and folks are asking the question now, is Ezekama the best uh, receiver Tech has had since Crabtree? And I'm usually the hesitant to jump on those bandwagons after based on one or two games. But from what I've what what I'm looking at, I think he very well might be the best receiver tech has had since Crabtree. I, I don't think that's uh, off base at all, and I'm not sure it's premature to say that either. Well, you certainly have the, uh, the history to kind of know that, but I'm going to throw out this name because it reminds me a lot of a guy that you know, came out of nowhere, so to speak. I don't necessarily think as comma came out of nowhere because of all the preseason accolades, but the fact that he's made the jump reminds me a little bit of Antoine Wesley, just because of what you said, he all of a sudden has this game breaking ability now to where after the catch, he's able to make plays and you can correct me if I'm wrong. And then to answer Aaron's question are uh, the, dis- the, the receiving totals, uh, dis- uh, disproportionate, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think uh, the bad thing would be if he has 20 targets and one catch. That's the bad thing. The thing is, is he's been getting the ball thrown to him. He makes plays with it. Yes, he has a couple drops, but 
certainly uh, you're going to get your drops every once in a while. But I think the fact that he's made plays, he has a touchdown now. He probably should have had a touchdown on the on the other, uh, I guess, flipping uh, before he got to the pylon against Houston play. Um, but I think right now the, the dis- disproportionate part of that would be if he didn't make these catches and you're still throwing him the ball. That's, I think, what would be the biggest problem is you're trying to force things. But now, again, most of the time he's making a catch and most of his plays are after said catch. It's not like he's, you know, kind of like what you said, Don. I mean, he's taking advantage of a 5'8 cornerback or sometimes he just has a really good route and he gets separation and he's able to make a play. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it because, I mean, coaches say it all the time. If you got a hot hand, you got to get it to that player. You, you get the ball to your best players. Texas Tech has done that. They've given it to Taj Brooks, Xavier White, Eric Hitsukama. Yeah. Uh, let's, see, let's see. Moving on. Next question. Let's go down to uh, a man with no name, only a number, zero, zero, two. And I think we've had, I think we've pretty much answered one of his questions, which is what are our, what are your early thoughts on our offense? We've already obviously discussed that. Uh, he also asked, does the football head coach seem to take umbrage with hard questions? And, uh, 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 Matt does not take umbrage to hard questions. Uh, I, I don't think so. I know now that uh, press conferences are on video and and fans are able to sit there and watch press conferences right along in real time. Um, I think Matt's pretty engaging and yes. rarely ever dismissive. And he usually answers questions in the way I think fans want questions answered. I go back to the Texas Tech Kansas game of two years ago. We're tech lost in Lawrence mm-hmm. and it was a disaster ending and you lose to Kansas, which is just unforgivable. And um, everybody, of course, is in a bad mood as you would expect them to be. And there are a couple of situations there where in that game, second half, where it's like third and uh, what was it, third and one, fourth and one and fourth and one, fourth and one, fourth and two, tech kicked the field goal. Mm-hmm. And people say, you know, that's terrible. They should, they should have gone for it on fourth down. Close game, need the touchdown, not the three points. Should have gone there. So I said, you know, what, what, why do you go there? Uh, why did you go for it there? Or pardon me, why did you kick the field goal there yeah. and not go for it? And Matt Wells very clearly explained the reason why he. Uh, kicked the field goal versus going and said, you know, one of the reasons why was because in each of the two plays before that, they had been stuffed mm-hmm. running the football, had not gotten the yardage. And the way Kansas defense was playing at that time, um, that's why you kicked the field goal there as opposed to going forward on fourth and two, because they had not shown the ability to get two yards on a couple of plays before that. And, People thought that that uh, he was being hostile at, at that in that uh, exchange, but I thought it was he answered the question uh, and clearly explained the thought process. Now he might have disagreed with the thought process, but he took the time to explain why, and I think that's what people want as opposed to being dismissive and not really answering the question. And I think that's been Matt's nature. Uh, for the most part, pretty much the whole time he's been here. And obviously he's been in a lot of close games 
where he's not been in a good mood afterward, but I think he's generally answered questions the way you would like them to be answered, explain the thought process. Um, and this question, I think, came up because yesterday in the Tuesday news conference, we asked him uh, you know, about the issues with the punt return game. It has not been real productive so far. They've had balls hit and bounce and give up yards that way, and they had a muff punt. And Matt says, well, we've had one issue. And, of course, he is referring to the muff punt. Uh, I, I thought nothing. I thought really nothing of that. I certainly, I, I didn't take any offense, um, and I didn't think he was taking umbrage to hard questions. Nor do I think he takes umbrage to hard questions on any kind of regular basis. If you want, uh, I mean, he's in that regard. Um, he's light years ahead of Spike Dykes, who, by far and away, was the most difficult Texas Tech coach to deal with and who would be openly hostile and uh, certainly two questions that he didn't like, often questions that were simply routine reporting uh, as opposed to stuff that happened in the game. He was by far the most difficult to deal with of any of the six tech head coaches I've dealt with. Matt Wells on the other hand is, is way on the other end of that spectrum. He's uh, a walk in the park. And like I say, even even a lot, of, a lot of times when people think Matt is taking umbrage to questions, uh, I generally feel like he, uh, again, answer at least answers the questions and does a good job of uh, explaining his thought process and processes that went into decision-making at key points in the game. And that's, that's all I ask. Uh, I, I don't – I don't care if you if you maybe come across as a little thin skinned because I mean if you've uh, if you've lost a close game, uh, you're and if you're a competitor, you're not going to be in a good mood. I completely understand that. And to say, after 39 years of doing this, um, Matt Wells, Matt the inter- Matt Wells uh, is uh, a very he's a media friendly coach. I would say uh, not for the media to deal with by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, just two quick thoughts, and you obviously kind of answered this yourself because it was kind of focused on that special team play. I think he was just trying to illustrate the fact that, at least from a coaching perspective, he doesn't think it's an issue overall. I think he just felt like there was a muffed punt, but the rest of the special teams were, I guess, good or adequate, I guess is the best way to put it. They're, they're making their point after tries. They're making their field goals. The punting's decent. It's just, you had, you know, the one quote unquote issue. And sometimes to kind of go to your point, Don, I think Matt is very good about wording things, or he's very good about asking a follow-up if he doesn't understand the way something asked, because he's very intent on making sure that he uses the correct verbiage to ensure that people understand what he's trying to describe. And I think that's the only community. Yeah. 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 And, and again, some, and, and I think this is the problem with having stuff on YouTube and all, all these other things. I mean, it's great for the fans to get the access, so to speak, but I mean, you've done this for 39 years, as you said, I've done this for, you know, six, six plus getting to a decade, almost you're going to have your little relationships with your coaches 
mean, you're both going to have your, you know, flare ups, if you will. But I mean, you both kind of get over it and you know what's happening. One person's in a bad mood because, you know, maybe they lost or they won in a close game. And like you said, their competitors are going to be upset about things. And sometimes something, you know, gets them upset. But I think Matt, of all the coaches I've dealt with, does it in a way to where he's just trying to be very uh, deliberate in terms of how he's telling you. He wants to explain it correctly. And I think he was just trying to say, like, he feels it's not an issue overall for the special teams. He just thought that they had a muff punt. And yes, that was a mistake that cost him, certainly. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Joyce Woodman uh, asked the question, what is your personal favorite Texas Tech uniform in all your time covering the Red Raiders. I think that's more take- for you, Don, because you've been covering it as long as I've been alive. But I mean, if, if well, you pers- me, it's the it's the throwbacks. Love the black throwbacks. Huge fan of those. Big fan. The black throwbacks. Yes, big fan of those. So the black, black and the red blacks or, with the, or, or is it the uh, white and red? I can't remember which Texas Tech throw. Uh, well, I was gonna I was gonna ask you because uh, you know they've they've done the uh, like the. The 90s, like Zach Thomas here, throwbacks, black helmets, the flat double T, uh, black I think jerseys. that's the one. Actually, I take it back. I'm looking at it right now. I can't remember when this game was played, but it is the uh, red tops, white numerals, and like the double T with the stars or the uh, – Yeah, yeah. The yeah. The hel- and uh, white helmet. Yes. Huge white helmet. That yeah, that, and I'm also so- a huge fan of the, uh, at the flat double T, as you said. Big fan of that one. Yeah. Yeah. So the jersey that you're referring to, the look that you're referring to, that, that was the Jim Carlin years from 1970 to 1974. And I also like that one because that, that's what Tech was wearing when I was a little, little kid. Yeah. Um, the white helmet, the red double T, the stars, which the, the little stickers on the helmets in the 70s were a big thing. Yes. And uh, red jerseys, white pants. Yes, I, I like those. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, one uh, one decade before that. And I'm actually uh, choice asked me the favorite in my, all my time covering the Red Raiders. And I'm actually gonna go back to a time that uh, predated when I covered the Red Raiders, and that was the 1960s Donnie Anderson era. Um, so let me try to describe these. And I called up a. a uh, couple of photos so I can look at them as I am talking about them. But to me, the classic, the most classic tech look was, uh, again, 1960s, black helmet, no stripe on the helmet, flat double T, uh, red jersey with white numerals, white pants with uh, red stripe with a black border down the pants. And those were the home uniforms. The ones I really like and are really my all-time favorite tech uniforms are uh, the road uniforms from the 1960s. And, um, again, same black helmet, no stripe on the helmet, flat double T, um, red pants, uh, white stripe down the side, black uh, bordered by a black stripe. But here's the thing that sets sets those apart and makes them the favorite for me. You had a white jersey. Uh, with black block with black Texas Tech and block lettering across the chest, but a red numeral, black lettering across oh. the chest, red numeral, 
And then they also had red numerals, large red numerals on the sleeves, right? And I called them TV numbers, you know, back in the days where people actually could get, we're starting to get used to, okay, we, hey, we actually have a few games on television. They put uh, good-sized numbers on the sleeves to make it easier to identify players when they are in their stances. And th- those are my favorite tech uniforms uh, of all time. Uh, That's again, interesting. Uh, the road unis from the 1960s, the home unis from the 1960s, great too, but the uh, the road uniforms from the 1960s are my all-time favorite. When you were initially describing that helmet, I was thinking of the one that Davis Webb wore or that, that they wore when he was playing, if I remember correctly. They had one without a stripe, and I think it was like the old school yeah. tee, and it had like mm-hmm. uh, yep. the red stripe with uh, the white and the black on the outside. I remember those. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely good choice. We have a couple of food questions as we devolve into the uh, humorous part. And uh, Choice Choice asked, uh, uh, who would win in a competitive eating contest between me and Carlos? Go ahead, Carlos. Who would win? Well, I don't know, Don. Do you have a small stomach compared to me? I'm going to say no. (laughs) Well, uh, you're going to take yourself right now, correct? I mean – I, I will say this: When we went to Babes, I had a lot more sides than you did, and those were unlimited. So I think we can just kind of, kind of leave it at that. So, yeah, uh, yeah here, I'm going to answer this in a little different way. Thirty years ago, I would bet on myself in a competitive eating contest, hands down. Uh, today, my uh, appetite, as I've grown older, is much smaller. Oh, hands same. down, you would, you would win the competitive eating today. But uh, when I was I'm not kidding you. When I was 19, 20, 21 years old, I weighed about 130 pounds, yeah. skinny as a rail. And I would have, I would go eat with guys who were 200 or whatever. And yeah. they, compared to what they could eat. Yeah. There's uh, I, I, a barbecue place in Midland that, you know, when I was a poor college kid, I lived for um, all you can eat on Saturday. Uh, you know, this was back. In the 80s, so it was, it was something like all you can eat for five ninety nine or six ninety nine or something like that. <laughs> Keep bringing me the brisket and the sausage. And well, then I would think uh, on is, uh, I, I think we would have a competitive contest because when I was at that age too, I used to go to all you can eats and we used to have. This was back when I actually tried to play football back in the day, but me and some offensive linemen or some friends of mine would just go and we would try and see who could eat the most pizzas at CC's. And sometimes we'd go two, three. You know, some would go four. Or we'd go to, I don't know if y'all from uh, Lubbock are aware, but there's a place called Poncho's Restaurant. And the only reason I remember this is because I saw it. Of course. Yeah, so I would raise the flag. I would raise the flag more times than most people would because I would be eating plenty, my man. So I would probably call a driver right now. I think if, it, if we're in the current stance, I think I'd probably win. Yeah, Lubbock used to have the ponchos uh, in my early in my early Lubbock years here in town. Yeah. Uh, let's think back to uh, one more food question. Aaron, Aaron Baxter asked, uh, "What is the superior stadium food?" Oh, nachos! Big fan of nachos. Uh, I guess I'll go hot dogs. I'm well, really the thing is, like, when you say I'm stuff, not really a fan football. of ballpark nachos. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is like when I go to a football game, I want nachos. If I go to a baseball game, I want a hot dog. That's just me. When I see stadium, I think nachos. So that's just me. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the uh, 
stadium nachos, so I'll go with the stadium hot dogs. There you go. Turn relish. And I think uh, that's going to about wrap it up for our questions tonight. Oh, good. So I appreciate you missing on someone that, that asks. <laughs> I'm not going to say who, but I appreciate you. I appreciate that. And one of our buddies, uh, guests, and we'll, we'll indulge him. But unfortunately, we're out of time for this week. Yes. Uh, so, again, we appreciate you listening in. Uh, again, Texas Tech against Florida International, uh, 6 p.m. game Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium. If you uh, cannot make it out, the uh, stream this week is uh, Big 12 Now on ESPN+. Plus. Um and uh, so that'll do it. Carlos and I will be out there on Saturday night. Uh, we'll uh, talk to you again soon. So for uh, Carlos Silva Jr., I'm Don Williams from the Avalanche Journal. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.